I hope you do understand that when I have my phone out, it doesn't mean I'm playing games while I'm celebrating Mass. This is where my Bible is. This is where the readings are. And thanks be to God this morning because someone forgot to put out the book of the Gospels. So I had to read it from here. So anyway, today is Divine Mercy Sunday. And today is, is a very important day, more important, I think, than in other years, especially for us and for our country. Uh, let me explain. First of all, let me start with with just the, the apparition of Jesus after the resurrection. I mean, after the crucifixion and in the resurrection. Now, I don't know about you, but the apostles should have been extremely embarrassed. I mean, after, especially Peter, especially after he said, Oh Lord, no matter what happens, I will even die with you. And not only did Peter run away when they came to arrest Jesus, but then he denied him three times before the cock crowed twice. And so, I don't know about you, but if I would have done that to someone that I have been following and calling my best friend for three years... I would want to hide my head when that person comes. So here comes Jesus, and he appears right in front of them. And I always, I always enjoy thinking, what would happen if that would happen today in, in the current cultural context? I think Jesus, in the cultural context of today, would have said, I want all of your resignations. I want you to resign. Because you obviously were not up to the task of being apostles. We're living, and I'm going to be talking about this, we're living in an age that lacks mercy. Total lack of mercy. And today... It's extremely important because it is countercultural, especially for today, because we are observing Divine Mercy Sunday. And so, other than the fact that the apostles had followed him, but, but look at what their behavior was. Do you think that they would, should be trustworthy to continue to, to preach the gospel? In the gospel, in the, in the current cultural climate, we would say, no. No, they really should resign, especially Peter. But notice Jesus immediately when he appears. He doesn't ask for accountability. A very famous, a very prominent word today. He doesn't say, I need to hold you accountable. To what you, for what you did. The first words out of Jesus' mouth, peace be with you. 
Notice, he doesn't even refer to their behavior. He doesn't point it out. You did this. It reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home after having spent all the father's money, the father doesn't even allow him, doesn't even allow him to give an apology before, if you, if you read the scriptures very closely, it says, while he was a long way off, the father saw the son, ran out, and before the son can get a word out, the father throws his arms around him and begins to welcome him. Only after the son has been welcomed by the father does the son offer an apology. I have sinned against you and I am not no longer worthy to be called your son. And so the behavior of Jesus is continued. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. There's no condemnation. None whatsoever. And so we begin to see the divine mercy. The mercy that goes way beyond what you would expect. That is something that I deal with, and I, I'm dealing, I deal with it in, in private, individual, individual to individual, especially in confession. And I also deal with it socially. But think about this individually. Some people, you know, have, have I, I've been, you know, I, I've been a priest now for 43 years. And, you know, one of the most, one of the most uh, prominent things that I see in the confessional is the fact that, well, let me put it this way. There are many, there are some confessions that are rote, you know, the father him is in, you know, and, and but, but you can tell when a person is coming in that has been tremendously affected by their behavior, by their sin. And when that happens, it is not uncommon for the person to say, Father, I've confessed this before, but I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel it. And I always remind them that it is extremely important that, conf that confession exists, that you hear absolution from a priest. Because the way that I normally begin it is by saying to them, do you need my forgiveness? Mine? Mario's? You haven't done anything to me. So whenever I say to you, I absolve you from all of your sins, why do you need my, me to say this? And notice I, day, I don't say Jesus absolves you. I say I absolve you. And the reason for that is, is that when a person, when a, a man is ordained, you are acting in the sacraments in what is called in persona Christi, in the person of Christ. And so at that moment, as in many of the other sacraments, all of the other sacraments, at that moment when I say, I absolve you, what you are hearing is not Mario. You are hearing the Lord using me to speak specifically to you. You, I absolve you 
from everything you have just told me. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus and the priest at that moment, through which Jesus is working, is not inside your head. Why is that important? Because the fact that people don't feel forgiven is because most of the time they don't forgive themselves. <coughs> and so since they're not forgiving themselves, they constantly hack and hack and hack at themselves, at the memory and trying to get rid of that feeling, of the feeling of self-hatred. And they can't do it. And I always have to remind them that's the power of confession is the fact that the voice of the Lord, because see, a lot of times what happens <clears throat> with us is that when we're talking to God, we imagine him saying something to us. But it's you, you always know that you can fake yourself out. You know you can, you can have God say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll give you the lottery, whatever, you know. But, but when the priest is saying it, that's somebody who's not out inside your head. That's somebody speaking for God specifically to your situation so that you can understand that you have been forgiven. And the normal thing that I have to do is I have to challenge the person and I have to say, so who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe your own self-hatred and your own lack of forgiveness of yourself or are you going to pay attention to the forgiveness that God has given to you? Are you going to pay attention to the fact that I have said to you using Jesus' words, not me, I? And by the way, it doesn't feel like I don't go into a, you know, like God is all of a sudden talking through me. But are you going to believe what God has said to you? I absolve you from all of your sins. And the problem more often than not is the fact that they're listening more to their own self-hatred than they are listening to the Lord. And the re that's the reason they, they forgive them because they feel I, secretly I don't deserve it. And you know what? You don't. I don't deserve it. But that's the, that's the, the thing that blows your mind is that God is not like you or me. There's a saying that I keep in my head all the time. It says, God made us in his image and likeness, and we never cease returning the favor. Because we make up God in our image and likeness. And the way you, a lot of people think, <coughs> they think, well, I wouldn't forgive me. So therefore, God must not forgive me. But what are you doing? You're making up God in your own image and likeness of what you would do. And that's why it's so important that the priest be outside of you so that he's not complicit in your own self-hatred. And there's times that I literally, I, I tell people, you know, if you keep hating yourself, you come back here. I'm going to bong you over the head. I'm going to bong you over the head until you understand. I want you to feel the fist of Jesus saying, stop it. Just stop it. Because you're treating yourself worse than any enemy would treat you. So stop it. And so that's the, the, the important thing about 
the Divine Mercy Sunday. And look, mercy is, and that Pope Francis really speaks about that, that mercy is the chief characteristic of God. And you know where we found that out? We know where we found out that mercy is his chief characteristic? Look behind me. You see that man hanging on the cross? I always ask Catholics, why is it that when you walk into a Catholic church, you don't see what you see in Protestant churches? In Protestant churches, what you see is an empty cross. Why? Because they emphasize the fact that Jesus conquered death, which is good that we have been given the gift of resurrection. Why do Catholics insist on having a corpus, a dying Jesus on the cross? And you know why that is? Because at that moment in human history, we learned the identity of God. You see, when we say God is love, we are so used to it that we, are, we don't realize that no other religion in the entire world and in entire history of the world has ever said God is love, not even the Jews. My good friend Rabbi Stewart, who I'm in the radio on, with on Sunday nights, I do a radio program on Sunday nights with a Jewish rabbi and a Baptist minister, and it's not a joke, it's for real. Okay, uh, my, my good friend, Rabbi Stewart, says, no, God, for, for Jews, God is not primarily love. God is more justice than love. So when do we, where do we Christians get it? From here. Because at the very, at this very moment, when no one in their right mind ever thought that God was love, God reveals himself. Because after what we did to him behind me, and that's a very sanitized version of the crucifixion, okay, very sanitized. Usually the person's flesh was hanging all over because they had been whipped with a whip with little pieces of bone and there were there were there was flesh sometimes their inner interior organs might even be protruding and they were crucified and at that moment when we touched when we tortured him he could have looked up to God and said father look what these idiots have done to me and he could have said father to hell with them to hell with all of them they're not worth it let's restart creation but it's at that moment that instead of hearing to hell with them, we hear, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is the moment, the most revolutionary moment in the history of mankind. Every other culture believed that the gods, gods, had to be appeased. Why do you think they offered animal sacrifices? Because they would burn then the sacrifice and then the smoke would rise towards heaven and the gods would be up there going, ah, barbecue, ah, I will not kill you for today. Keep offering me good barbecue, okay? Because that's the way they appeased God. 
That's, there's a fancy word for that. That in the ancient world, the, the sacrifices were apotropaic. Apotropaic means to turn, apo means away, and tropos means to turn. And so apotropaic is when you turn away. Turn away what? <coughs> the anger of the gods. And throughout the entire world, that's the way. The, not only in the, in the Middle East, but everywhere in the world, sacrifice has been practiced, including human sacrifice has been done because the gods always want for you to prove that you obey them, they want you to give them the most treasured possession that you have. And normally, it was your oldest child, especially your son. Why do you think Abraham gets confused and he thinks that God is speaking to him when he says, sacrifice your son Isaac to me? Abraham comes from Ur, which is a pagan town. And in pagan Ur, they, they did human sacrifices all the time to please the gods. And so when Abraham starts hearing this new god that he doesn't know, saying, I want you to dedicate yourself to me, he thinks it's God. He thinks it's the true God, and it is the true God. <clears throat> but he says in his own mind, oh, he must want what the other gods want for me to give him what I value the most, my son Isaac. And just as he is about to ready to ring, to go with the knife, the angel of the Lord says, no, Abraham, no, that's not what I want. That is what I desire is mercy, not sacrifice. I don't desire, I know you would be willing to sacrifice Isaac. I know, and for doing that, I have... I, I am, I am tremendously impressed, and I will make you the father of nations, but I, that is not what I want. I often ask people, just as a side note, I ask people, do you think it was the real God that was asking, God, asking Abraham to do that? And if you say yes, consider it before you say yes, because if he asked Abraham to prove his love, for God, if God asked Abraham to prove his love for him in that way, what would keep him from doing that again to you? What would keep him from waking you up in the middle of the night and say, offer up your entire family for me as a proof? And there might not be an angel to stop you. So that's the, the, the whole point is that at that moment, Abraham is confused and he thinks it's God, but God has to send his angel and say, no. Mercy is what I desire. And so throughout the entire Old Testament and also in the New Testament, we see the whole notion of mercy, mercy, on top of much more than justice. Do you remember the woman who was caught in the act of adultery? That woman, she was guilty. Should justice have been carried out? And Jesus stands there tracing on the ground and then he gets up and he says, any one of you who has without sin, you throw the first stone. It's mercy God desires, not justice. 
And that leads me just to the last part of what I want to say to you today. Especially socially, we need, we Christians need to emphasize that point. Because this whole thing that's going around, it's all over the place, cancel culture. It's, it's, it's really at a Christian heresy. Because the whole issue of social justice, social justice was being um, practiced by the Catholic Church in a very balanced way before secular progressive hold of it. Because in social justice in the gospel, there is, it baked into social justice mercy. The problem with social justice warriors in the present culture is that mercy is left out. And all you get is accusations. If you did something even 20 years ago, and you put it somewhere, thanks be to God that I grew up before Twitter, okay? Because if you, I, I, I was an idiot. I was an idiot when I was growing up. And, and, but if you did something 20 years ago, and it's brought to light, immediately, there is no forgiveness. You are canceled. Bring out the Twitter guillotine. Bring it out. Get out. Get, we, don't know, we no longer stone people. We cut their lives off. Might as well cut their heads off. And I want to, I want to uh, draw your attention to this. That is satanic. Why do I say satanic? Because in the, in the scriptures, Satan is pictured chiefly as the accuser, the accuser. But with Satan, there is no mercy. It's the accuser. Listen, that's why I'm holding on to my phone. Listen to this, uh, the reading from the book of Revelations. Book of Revelations, chapter 12, verse 10. Jesus, I mean, the, Jesus says, well, actually, John, seeing the vision, he says, then I heard a loud voice say, Now have salvation and power come, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of the anointed one. And listen to the next sentence. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters is cast out, who constantly accused them before God day and night. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The accuser. Do you, now, when I say satanic, I don't mean that the people who are uh, participating in cancel culture are necessarily being possessed. But do you remember when Jesus uh, says he's got to go to uh, he's got to go to Jerusalem, where he's going to be um, arrested, and he is going not only to be arrested. He's going to um, be tortured and killed. What does Peter do? He says, he says what is normal. Peter says what is totally normal. He says, oh Lord, may that not happen to you. That's a well wish. Jesus should have said, thank you. But what does Jesus say to the well wish of Peter? 
Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because without knowing it, Jesus was cooperating with the forces of satanic powers without knowing it. And I think in today's world, with this critical race theory that's going on, if you've never heard of it, you need to look it up, or intersectionality, or colonial the post-colonial theory. There's all kinds of philosophies, but basically what they are is warmed over Marxism that instead of the proletariat fighting the bourgeois, you have oppressor and oppressed. And the oppressed have to rise up and put down the oppressor. But there is no mercy. There's no future. Bring out the guillotine. You are canceled. It is a Christian heresy because it takes the notion of justice from Christianity, but it leaves out mercy. And that is the satanic part. If you think about Satan, the first time we ever see Satan in the Gospels is when one, not in the Gospels, in the Bible, is in the book of Job. And you know what he's doing? In the book of Job, Satan is in the court of the, the Most High. And he goes up to God, Satan is an angel, and he goes up to God and he says, look at your servant Job. Actually, God says that. Look at your servant, how wonderful he is. And Satan says, oh yeah, it's because he's lucky. He's got, he's got lots of money, he's got a beautiful family. That's the only reason I accuse him of being a hypocrite, the accuser. And then God says, let him, go ahead, take it all away and let's see how he behaves. And that's how Job loses everything. But at the end, he refuses to curse God, even though he has been wrongly accused by Satan. And that's when God redeems him at the very end. Satan in the New Testament and the Old Testament is always the accuser. How much of our society today is based on accusations, accusations and accusations? Is there any peace be with you? Is there any mercy? There isn't. That's why it's a Christian heresy. They have taken the part of social justice, but they have rejected the part of social mercy. And that's what Christians need to remember. Okay? That's the, that's the one thing that we bring to the table that nobody else does. That God is love and that it is mercy that he desires and not sacrifice. And so my friends, as on this Divine Mercy Sunday, it's not just about mercy individually, but it's about our society healing and, and having mercy. Otherwise, we are just going to tear our, each other apart because there is not a single one of us who has the ability to throw that first stone. Because God only knows what has happened in your mind and in my mind or in the things you've done in the past that somebody could dig up and put in the front page. So let's not get all self-righteous about who we are. That's why Jesus said, the one of you who is without sin, you throw the first stone. Don't ever forget that it is divine mercy that is first and foremost. First and foremost, throughout the Gospels, you see constantly the mercy of God. And when you see this whole cancel culture going around, 
about canceling this and this man this this and this man did that. I'm not saying make no prudent decisions about you know putting people who are inept in power. But there's got to be a mercy. Without it, we are just going to kill each other. And actually, you know, it's interesting because, you know, in the book of Revelations, in Revelation, there is talk a lot about the wrath of God. And people say, well, how can you have the wrath of God when you have the mercy of God right behind us? How do those two understandings come together? And you know how it does? Because it's when, they, when they say the wrath of God is actually, look, very simple to explain. Who is God? God is love, right? So when you reject love, what do you have left? Wrath. Wrath, the wrath of God is not God directing wrath. It's human beings rejecting love and all they have is wrath towards one another. It's better to hate each other than to have no meaning. And so we go after each other. It's the war of all against all because it makes us feel righteous. It is mercy I desire. Divine Mercy Sunday. It is mercy I desire and not sacrifice.